you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Before I get into the sermon, I just want to say how grateful we are. And I'm speaking on behalf of the staff and the board of Common Ground for you guys, for our family here at Common Ground. Uh, just a, you know, a little while ago, my very best friend decided to up and move to France. I will have to forgive him for that. <laughs> and, uh, and that kind of put us in a spin for a little while here. But you guys have been faithful. You've hung with us. And then COVID struck. And uh, we've had to go to live stream. We've had to shut down. We've had to reopen. We're, we're still uncertain as to what exactly is in front of us for these next uh, uh, months, maybe. Who knows how long this will go on. But we do appreciate how you have been with us both on the live stream and, uh, and here in person with us. And um, I just want to take a minute and uh, pray again before we start. I appreciate everything Carol did there, but I just want to pray as... Uh, uh, part of the staff here at Common Ground. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that when uh, life has kind of kicked us in the tail a little bit, um, you still had us. You were still covering us, and you were still way ahead of us with the plans that you have before us. And God, there's a lot going on. Um, you have brought to us a new pastor. Um, you are giving to us a new location. And so we pray, God, that you will also give us in this very difficult time uh, new hearts and new spirits, ready and willing to follow you in any way that we can. So, Lord, we give you this time, and as we go into your word, we pray that your spirit would speak to us and, uh, and fill us with the daily bread that we so desperately need in our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So... I want to start this sermon talking about a story in the Old Testament about two brothers. You may have heard of them. One was named Jacob. The other one was named Esau. They both became nations. Uh, Israel was born out of Jacob and Edom was born out of uh, Esau. And uh, if you know anything about these brothers, you know that from birth they really did not get along that well. Uh, things were kind of tough for them. And uh, part of the reason is because of their personalities. Uh, Jacob was a sneak and a cheat. He's not a very nice guy. In fact, God had to do a lot of work on him in order to um, bring him to the point where he would be the father of the nation of, of Israel. Okay. And then there's his brother Edom and they were or, or Esau and they were twins and, and well he was just kind of a big hairy guy that liked to hunt. And this isn't a knock on hunters because I like to hunt too, but he was just a little bit thick. Okay, a little bit slow on the draw. Uh, he sold his birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. Okay, so that tells us that, that there were some things that he, he just didn't get how important they were. And then later his conniving brother, I mean, and that's Jacob, he really was a con man, uh, stole the blessing from his brother Esau. And when that happened, he, uh, Jacob had to get out of town <laughs> because Esau was set on doing some harm to his brother for everything that he had done. Now something had happened during those seven times two years that Jacob and Esau were separated. 
because when the time came for Jacob to return back home, um, he was about to meet his brother with a mighty force of armed men. And Jacob, being Jacob, arranged his family in such a way that they went on in little segments ahead of him. It would have really stunk to be Jacob's kids at that point to realize in what priority of expendability they were. And when the moment finally came where Jacob and Esau were face to face, Esau rushed upon his brother and fell upon his neck and wept. And wept. Something happened during those two times seven years while those two were separated. So we've been talking about practices or spiritual disciplines, uh, things that every follower of Jesus Christ, um, we, we should be involved in, we should be growing in them, we should be exemplifying these things. Uh, these practices are rooted in God's character and they are very specifically given to us in God's word and we would be remiss not to remind each other of what Luke 11.28 uh, says, that blessed are those who hear the word of God and practice it. Okay? Uh, James echoes that sentiment where he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Uh, and Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he closed it all off, um, he, he told uh, his people a lot of things that we should be doing. And uh, he encouraged us to, to walk in such a way that it brought glory to our Father in heaven. He says in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear on this, that we understand that doing good deeds or following through the through these practices will in no way impress God. Not in such a way that he'd say, you know what, I want that person in heaven with me. Because you see, we don't earn our salvation. It's given to us as a free gift of grace through faith. And in order for that to happen, you and I, we must be forgiven of our sins. And in order for us to be forgiven by our sins, the only thing we can do is repent and say, God, I'm a hot mess. I don't deserve the grace. I don't deserve your gifts. I don't deserve your mercy. I do not deserve your son to go to a cross and to die in my place. But I will accept those things. And I will receive those things. If you read Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, it's very clear in there that we are not saved by our works, but by grace but we are God's craftsmanship, His workmanship, and we were created for good works that we should walk in them. So you see, works don't give us salvation, but works demonstrate the salvation that has occurred in us, the transforming of our character, the molding of our souls to once again reflect God just as Jesus Christ did. So it's very important that we step into these various things like uh, the sharing of the Lord's table. That's a practice that we should all be involved in as believers. Um, prayer, 
generosity, hospitality. There are so many things. Well, today is one that there is no opt-out for this one. That there's no way that we can say, I'm walking in a right relationship with God. I'm living out the salvation that He died to give me if we don't practice this one. And this one is forgiveness. So, buckle up, because Jesus is not going to pull any punches on this one. In fact, I'm just going to read some passages out of the Scripture. Hopefully they'll pop up on the screen for you as I read them. Uh, the first one being Matthew 6, 12-15. I think we're going to see that this topic is near and dear to the heart of Jesus. In teaching us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, beginning, well, not beginning, but in the middle of this prayer, uh, starting with verse 12, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. He's, he's teaching us to pray that way, and our debts are our moral failures, our sins. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he goes on to explain this one aspect of all the Lord's prayer. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. In Mark 11.25, Jesus says, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your sins. In Luke 6.37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. In 2 Corinthians, after there was an individual in the Corinthian church that had done a lot of things he shouldn't have done and wasn't willing to repent, he was uh, told that he couldn't participate any longer in what that church was doing. Uh, that happens in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, something must have happened where this fellow repented. And so Paul gave these instructions in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 and 8, uh, to the church. This punishment on such an individual by the majority is enough for him. So that now instead, you should rather forgive and comfort him. This will keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive grief to the point of despair. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. See, that's what forgiveness looks like. When someone has failed, when someone has fallen, when someone has collapsed into their own weaknesses and in some way has offended us or hurt us, um, Paul says there comes a time when you must forgive that person and reaffirm your love for him. And then finally in Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 13, Paul writing to the Colossians, Therefore, as the chosen of God, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And you might have noticed that those are all fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's when He is in control of us and we are not in control of ourselves. Uh, he says that we should bear with one another and forgiving one another. If someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else, 
just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. Did you feel that? That was the Bible. Those were not my words. And if you got this sensation that made you squirm just a little bit in your spirit, well, that's the Holy Spirit having a little chat with you. I'll just give you a minute to absorb that. Because whenever I read these passages, it does not take long for the Spirit to make me think of somebody. Because every single one of us have somebody. All of us have a Jacob that has put a knife in our back, so to speak. All of us have somebody that has hurt us. All of us have a person who has offended us deeply. All of us have a need to forgive somebody. As we read through these texts, you might have noticed that there's a cause and effect relationship that was happening there. It was pretty clear, too. And it's a little bit frightening to look at that. And it's just basically this, that if I am not willing to forgive another person, then I should not expect to walk in forgiveness with my Lord. Now, that does not mean that you have somehow canceled out your salvation, because again, salvation is not given to us by works. I think we need to understand is what Jesus is saying in there is that every single day you and I must come before the Lord and say, God, I have really messed up. I have not thought everything that Jesus thinks. I have not said everything that Jesus would say, and I have not done the things that Jesus would do. In fact, I've done quite the opposite. Wretched man that I am, as Paul says. Every day, we got to come to the Lord and say, I need your forgiveness. It was secured for us at the cross, and we walk in that now. But we have to maintain our relationship with God. Sort of like I have to maintain my relationship with my wife. Like, for example, I don't understand this, but she really likes flowers. Okay, She likes to plant them. She puts them everywhere. She beautifies our whole space around us with these things during the summertime. She even tries to find a way to nurse them as long as she can until the frost comes. And I think that's cool. But something else that she really likes is flowers on the table. A bouquet, which I don't get. They're dead. They're going to be more dead in a couple of days. But to her, they are an amazing thing. To her, they're something that kind of makes her heart sing a little bit. And so I have to be, well, more intentional, more purposeful in making sure I bring flowers home to my wife. See, that's just kind of a way of maintaining our relationship with one another. Yeah, we love each other. Yeah, we're locked into this for all of our lives without regret. But that doesn't excuse me or her from doing the things that maintain our relationship. And in the same way, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in this together with God. 
Your lot with one another for this lifetime and all of eternity. And we can't just set ourselves on cruise control and forget about maintaining our relationship with God. So in a way, when we choose to forgive other people, it's like bringing flowers to our Father in Heaven. So I want us to look at a text today. Uh, It's Matthew 18. Uh, Beginning with verse 21, and we'll go through verse 35. And Jesus started talking about, you know, how to confront somebody. That's a strong word, but maybe I should say it this way, that Jesus was really explaining to us how to approach someone when they they have failed us, when they have hurt us in some fashion, when they have let us down. And Peter, listening to all of this, says, well, verse 21, he comes up to Jesus and he says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay. Now to explain that there, uh, the rabbinic tradition of the Pharisees in that day when Jesus taught this was you forgave somebody three times. They only got three strikes, and then they were out. If, if, if somebody has offended you, and you forgave them, and they do it again, and you forgave them, and you do it, they do it one more time, and you forgive them the third time, that's it. You don't have to forgive them anymore. Okay, you've done your due diligence. You know, just let them go off and continue being whatever they are. Peter, he's he's probably thinking himself really magnanimous here. Pharisees do it three times. Seven times, right? Jesus, seven times. That's good, isn't it? And Jesus says, no, I'm telling you, 70 times, seven. Now, all the engineers, you're doing your math right. That's 490 times, right? Did I do my math right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, if I had a nickel every time someone told me I did my math wrong, I would have $2.83. There's some people that are just getting that joke. When Jesus said 490 times, he's kind of playing a a, a trick with some words here because numbers mean something in the Bible. The number seven means completeness. Okay? Okay. Because seven days, Lord complete, the Lord completed this entire universe, right? The number ten is often used to represent a myriad, or in other words, an, an uncountable number. So Jesus isn't saying, okay, Peter, here's the deal. If somebody offends you, give them 490 shots. And then, you know, on 490, that's it. You don't have to forgive them anymore. No, what Jesus was saying with that equation there is you just don't stop. You just don't stop forgiving people. You never get to a point where you said, I have had it up to here with you. No more. Jesus says you just keep going. And I think we should understand that because that's the way God has dealt with us. It's been way more than 490 times that God has granted forgiveness to me. Way more. It's a countless number. And he just doesn't stop. I think it's very important for us to understand that when Jesus talks about forgiveness, his expectations will always exceed what our expectations are. 
he will always say, you need to go further, you need to go deeper, you need to go longer than you think you can go. So to help Peter to understand this and the rest of us, Jesus told a story. He told a parable. I once heard a guy explain uh, parables to me. An old pastor by the name of Malcolm Cronk, which I just think is the most awesome name for a pastor ever, especially if you've ever watched The Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> and he said, you know, the parables are sort of like a they're sort of like a frame, like a frame you might find on a picture. So what a parable does is it gives us a picture of a, of a spiritual truth in a way that we can perceive it and understand it. But he says you also put frames on windows so that you can look through that story and you can, you can see how it relates to the world in which you live and how it's relevant to us. And then he says, but you also put a frame around a mirror so that every time you... Look at a parable, a story from Jesus. You see yourself in that story as well. So here's the story that Jesus told. Verse 23 of Matthew 18. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now again, I'm bad at math, so I haven't figured out what that is in today's uh, equivalency of currency, uh, but it's it's a ton. Okay, it's 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 a ton. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. Okay, that meant he had to go into sort of like a debtor's prison. He had to go into servitude, his entire family, until he had worked off that immense debt. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me, I'll I'll pay you everything. And out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. That'd be a great story if it ended right there, huh? Because we're like going, yeah, yeah, that's what God does. That's us, you know. We we owe God a ton. (laughs) More than we can imagine. And when we beg God for, for grace and forgiveness, God's like so quick to say, I have compassion on you. I'll release you. I will forgive you. Problem is, is the story doesn't stop there. Goes on, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now compared to 10,000 talents, that's just a blip on the radar screen. It's nothing. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So the servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Same thing that this guy just got done saying to that king, to his master. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. That, my friends, is the biblical definition of a jerk. And we are all susceptible to being that guy. We can all sometimes forget how rich and how deep and how great and how full and how heavy the mercy of God has been upon us. And then one of our fellow beings comes along and we do not give him that same mercy, that same goodness, that same grace. 
Now verse 31 continues the story. Jesus said, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And I think that should tell us something right there in this story, that as the body of Christ, if we have an unforgiving spirit somewhere in our family, it should distress us greatly. Because it doesn't just affect that person and the other person, it affects us all. It says they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Just for a minute, stop and think. How much mercy has God given you? How much mercy have you received from your Heavenly Father? And how much mercy will you continue to need from your Heavenly Father all the days of your life? I don't care if my math were superb. I cannot account for that large of an amount. That's how merciful God has been to us. If you need a measure of of how rich and how deep and how full the mercy of God is, you don't have to look any further than the cross. Because there it is. God himself in a human body. Three spikes securing him to wooden timbers. Feeling agony and pain like none of us could ever imagine. Knowing that in the hour of darkness... Your sins, my sins, the sins of every single human being that has ever existed and will exist in all of history would land hard upon him. He didn't have to go there, but out of his compassion for us, he did. And one of the first things he said, and in order to say it, he had to put the full weight of his body down on those nails to draw breath. His Father, forgive them. That's how much mercy God has given to you and I. And since God is merciful to us, we should be merciful to others. So in his anger, the master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. That doesn't mean that he was sent to hell or that sort of thing. You know, that's not how we equate that to where we are today. But what is said is, is that there will be circumstances, there will be consequences, and it will not be fun. That in reality, our lack of forgiveness is locking us into a prison. A prison of our own making, chains of our own forging. And, 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 and we'll know the torment of that prison and until, well, we make up our minds to do something different. Somebody once described a, a bitter, unforgiving spirit to me in, in a way that's not too delectable. But have you ever, you know, fallen off your bicycle when you were a kid, hit the gravel or the pavement, got a little thing called road rash, kind of tore you up a little bit? 
and then and you bleed, okay? And then and then where you bleed, this hard, crusty substance, this dried blood begins to form over that wound. And I don't know what it is about every single little kid, but they pick at it and pick at it and pick at it. Uh, you know you did that, okay? Some of you might have even taken a bite of that scab. I'm not. I'm not going to point any fingers, but there, there are people that do that. And you know, when you do that, when you keep picking at a wound, you keep tearing at that scab. What happens is an infection will set in, and then that wound becomes worse than it ever was before. And and then you start to notice this kind of yellowish green stuff forming in there. Okay, I've gone far enough. <laughs> But that's what we do when we don't forgive. There's a wound in our spirit or in our heart and you pick at it. You pick at it. And it gets infected. And then it gets ugly. And that's just us locking ourselves into a life of resentment and bitterness. So Jesus closed the story in verse 35 by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. So you see, that's maintaining that relationship with God because Jesus said, this is it. If you want to know what you're supposed to do with your life, if you really want the the easy instructions condensed into a very simple form that you and I can understand, it's love God with all of your being and love your neighbor. That's it. If you're doing that, you're in good shape. So... What we're taught in forgiving is that's that's a way that we love God with everything we've got, and it's how we love our neighbor. So that leads us to say, okay, I get that. I, I have people I need to forgive. You know, none of us have to think very hard about that one, do we? And if I could give you just one bit of advice it's something that I've learned in my 37 years now walking with Jesus, it's if if you want to keep a short list of something, it should be a short list of people that need your forgiveness. Keep it short. Every day, rise up. And as soon as you think of that person, go, yeah, I'm going to forgive them. So... Here's some ways that you can forgive your brother from your heart. There's seven of them. I hope this will make forgiveness complete. The first one is you've got to choose to pursue reconciliation, peace, and unity. Because that's something that Jesus prayed for, for us, before he went to the cross. That we would walk in that. And we have to understand that's our job. As Christians, that, that's, that's, that's our occupation. Okay? It's not to make somebody squirm until they feel really bad about something that they've done to us. That's God's job. And He doesn't need our help. Okay? We're not supposed to lay guilt trips on people. Because that doesn't get anybody anywhere. But when God brings conviction, then something happens. So that's it. Pursue reconciliation, peace, unity with all people. The second thing you've got to do is ask God for the dynamite. 
Because dynamite is the power that you and I do not have in ourselves. We get the word dynamite from the Greek word dunamis. And when it comes to forgiving another person, you know, we're going to find ourselves falling short. We're going to find ourselves having a real hard time getting past the the rubble of the the broken relationship. And and we're going to need a big old stick of dynamite to kind of just blow that clear. And so it's just very simple. Once you choose to pursue reconciliation, peace, and unity, then the next step is, God, I don't have it in me. But your spirit does. And you have not withheld anything from me in your spirit. So I'm asking God for the power to forgive somebody that has hurt me deeply. The third thing we have to do is recognize that forgiveness is an act of faith, not feelings. Because you might be thinking right now about somebody, (laughs) I don't feel like forgiving them. Well, that isn't what Jesus asked us to do. Nowhere in all those verses that we read did, did, did Jesus say, and when you feel like it, forgive your brother. Uh, it's an act of faith. That, that means that I, I'm going to use my will to do something before the emotions are on board. Because that's what faith is. Faith is stepping out onto the water, getting out of the boat. And, and, and God's not waiting for you to, to feel like forgiving because, man, truth be told, most of us don't ever feel like it. He says, just because I'm going to be obedient to God, I'm, I'm going to do this. You know, and if I could stress anything, it would be this. Um, it's so easy for me to think, well, God, I'm doing this and I'm doing that for you. I've served you for 37 years. I've been involved. I've been kicked in the teeth, whatever it might be. Lord, I've dropped a lot into the offering plate. We'll think of all these things that are sacrifices, right? So we'll think that somehow we've got an option out on forgiving. So come on, God, I've done all those other things. You don't need me to do this too, do you? And God will say the same thing that he said to King Saul. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So when it comes to choosing to forgive somebody, by faith, that is an act of obedience. The fourth thing we have to do is to remember that we have to forgive before repentance is demonstrated. It's real easy for us to go, okay, yeah, I'll forgive that person as soon as they come and say they're sorry. Once they've done that, then they got it. They got my forgiveness. And God is saying, eh, hold on a minute, buckaroo. Is that how I did it with you? Did I wait until you were sorry? Or did I go to the cross while you were still hating me? In fact, wasn't Jesus Christ the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world? Before He even made us, before this universe even existed, God in His heart had already prepared. He forgave us way back then. You see, when we forgive somebody before they ask for the forgiveness, before they come and apologize, before they repent to us, see, what we're doing is we're working on God's timetable instead of our own. And that day may never come. That person who's hurt you or offended you may never come to you and say, I'm really sorry about that. But you see, that isn't what's important. What's important is that we in our heart have chosen to forgive.
Now, I think we understand that when God has forgiven us, He set us free. Set us free from uh, the power, uh, the penalty of sin. And when we forgive somebody else, we're setting them free too. But that doesn't mean we're setting them free of absolute responsibility for the thing they did. But we're setting them free from our anger and our hatred and our bitterness and our resentment. But the thing I think we often miss is that forgiveness is setting yourself free. Forgiveness is the act of unlocking that prison of resentment, of shaking off those chains of bitterness and and anger that are keeping us from knowing the fullness of the life that God wants us to know. The sixth step is prayerfully listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, One of my favorite comedians, Michael Jr., he calls this listening in the gaps. And, And that's something that he does. Even while he's delivering his comedy routine, in between the jokes and everything, he stops and listens. You know, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to give to these people? What is it you want me to give? And, and if we could practice that in our lives, then it will help us to walk in obedience because obedience is better than sacrifice. So prayerfully listen to the Holy Spirit to lead you to that moment when you can verbally express forgiveness with that person. But again, remember that that comes long after the act of the heart. And then the last thing, just like your Spotify playlists and that sort of thing, set your heart to repeat. Keep doing it. Keep forgiving. Even when you don't feel like it. And even if it's the same person over and over and over again, keep giving them that forgiveness. 490 times and then some. And this is what usually happens. Somewhere around, I don't know, 436, you start to feel it. You start to feel that forgiveness. That's a work of God in your heart where, where your feelings then begin to catch up with your volition. And then you don't even have to think about it anymore. You don't even have to, you know, say it one more time. Oh yeah, I forgive that person. There's somebody, if you've ever heard Don Henley's song, Forgiveness, take a good, long look at the lyrics. Uh, When I first heard it, I thought I wrote it. And I'm not a songwriter. But the story he tells is a story very similar to one that that I had experienced. And uh, God one day just pinned me down and said, dude, it's about time that you stop picking that scab and you forgive. I don't want to forgive God. I didn't ask you to want to. I just said forgive. And I had a little argument with God. I was driving a delivery truck at the time somewhere out between Nemo and Johnson Siding. And uh, I still remember to this day pulling that truck over because I thought I was going to crash it. I was so mad. Because I was mad at God because he was telling me to forgive somebody that I didn't think deserved it. So I pulled over and I said, all right, God, give me the dynamite. I'm going to do it. And I don't have it in me to do it. I don't feel like doing it, but I'm going to do it. 
And even though that person lives half a continent away from me now, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to see this person again. I'm, in my heart right now, they're forgiven. That's it. It's done. Now I'm doing that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what else to do after this. And immediately following that, my heart was so full of benevolence and charity and forbearance. No, it wasn't. I was still mad. I was still hurt. And I was just God saying, it'll, it'll take some time. And so I'd be somewhere down the road thinking about this situation one more time, kind of picking that scab a little bit. And I'd stop and say, God, I, I forgive that person. I don't know how many times I've done it. But there finally came a time where forgiveness came without me even having to think about it anymore. And the pain, the hurt, the rending of my heart that I was feeling from all of that was no more. God wasn't done with me because He appointed for this person to cross my path about two years after I made that decision. And uh, when this person showed up to church one Sunday, I stood at the back just kind of going, I don't know what to do with myself. A friend of mine, he knew the whole story. He came up and he said, you need to go talk to this person. I said, yeah, you're right. I, I better do that. shouldn't be hard. They're forgiven. So I walked up to this person, and uh, it was one of those things where it's the greeting time during the church service. <laughs> and... Uh, there I was kind of just standing there waiting for someone to get done talking. See, I hadn't seen each other for a long time. And uh, now, you know, the, the, the song that they're playing during the greeting time was wrapping up. And, uh, and, and everybody else was returning to their seats. And there I was standing in the aisle waiting to just say hi to this person. And uh, then this person turned around and looked at me and everybody was sitting down. The two of us were standing there right in front of the whole church. this person fell on my neck and wept and said I know I have hurt you deeply and I don't expect you to forgive me but I want you to know that when people talk about agape love that unconditional love that's how you love me That's when I looked up and said, God, you need to forgive me. Because that's not always how I loved. So we spent some time talking with one another. And uh, before that person departed to leave to another state a long ways away, the last thing that was said to me is, I am glad that you will be my friend forever. That's how forgiveness works. It took a long time. It hurt. It wasn't easy. But it was necessary. So, Jacob and Esau. Esau falls on Jacob's neck and he wept. Seeing this con man, cheating, conniving brother that had hurt him so deeply 14 years ago. And nowhere in the 
story of Jacob and Esau do we see it, but somewhere Jake or Esau, even sick old Esau, understood he needed to forgive his brother and chose to do that. And they had this reunion that no one would have expected. And then Jacob says something to Esau. When I see your face, it's like looking into the face of God. That's what a forgiven man saw in a forgiving brother. When I look in your face, I see the face of God. I would just close with this, that there are people in my life that need to see the face of God. And if there are people in your life that need to see the face of God, don't settle for just being a forgiven person. Choose now to be a forgiving person. Let's pray. Lord, we stand here in your grace and nothing but. You know every element of our lives, every thought, every word, every action. The ones that we have committed, the ones that we will commit today, and the ones that we're going to continue to commit all the days of our lives. And without your mercy, and without your loving kindness towards us, without your tender, humble compassion for us, we would be wrecked. We would not have a hope on earth or heaven. But Lord, because of the cross, you've shown us how great and how rich and how full your mercy is. And you even said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God, if we have received your mercy, let us be merciful. God, if we have received your grace in abundance, let us share it with others around us. God, if if we count ourselves as forgiven, let us be forgiving. Lord, this is a time of thanksgiving. And it's a time of giving generously. But Lord, every single day is a time for forgiving. So God, I don't know what's in the heart of my friends here, my brothers and sisters. But if there's anyone that they need to forgive, that God right now, you would meet them. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.